0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. It just seems like Father's Day is never really a big deal. And in light of that, when you look at Mother's Day, there's more cards sent out on Mother's Day than any other day. But I believe God wants to bring back some significance to Father's Day. Because if we don't make it important, it'll never be important. And so this is kind of a a Resurrection Sunday for Father's Day, because we're going to make a big deal about it, because it is a big deal. Okay? So God bless all of you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand up real high. Go with me to the book of Judges, chapter 13. Judges, chapter 13. Now, we want to talk about how Father God views the ministry of fatherhood. Not the world, but Father God. And with Father God, you saw even in the video that it's, it's practical and it's spiritual. And so I believe for every one of us in here that God takes ordinary men with extraordinary potential and uses us to help our children and just others in our lives nowadays. So we're going to talk a little bit today about just fulfilling the call of the Father. And, and my goal is never to bash Father's guys. I'm not not here to say, man, we got to do this or do that. But I do sense right now that that God is raising the bar back up in in our lives as fathers. Judges chapter 13, verse number 1. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, the reason he highlights the word again there, because this was the sixth generation or the sixth cycle of, of sin and and, and disobedience. So as if the Lord is saying to them, what will it take for you guys to follow God? So he goes on to say, And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zor, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren, and have borne no children. But you shall conceive and bear a son. So this angel shows up and speaks to this man named Manoah's wife that she's going to bear a son. Now this son would be a man named Samson. And if you recall the story of Samson, guys, Samson was extremely uh, strong physically. And so this is the, the story of how that, that Manoah was given inside information from this angel. Verse 4. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. Now, when this angel spoke this, he was speaking to this woman. And he's basically telling her, you're going to have to watch your lifestyle or your conduct in how you raise this child. And it's interesting, he deals with her conduct, her lifestyle. And I believe he still does that. Verse 5. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, a Nazarite, guys had to live a disciplined life. in order for him to live a disciplined life, it started with the father and the mother. In other words, it had to be implemented by his parents. And so as a Nazarite, they could drink no wine, they could not touch any dead things, nor could they ever cut their hair. Now, if you read the story of Samson, that's what ultimately got him in trouble is when they cut his hair. And so when you read all this here, this is is something that has to happen that's birthed from a father. Now in this passage, it'll refer to an area of commitment. The word commitment means to nourish. To nourish means to be the example, to be the upholder, to be the teacher, and to be the trainer. So this is what this angel was ultimately telling Samson's mother and father. Now, when you look at this, in in Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up your children in the way they should go. And when they're old, they shall not depart. Now, part of training up a child is to give them instruction on what's right and wrong, but also, we are called to be the model. Your children will do what they see. They will model that. Verse 6. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. Now this angel shows up. And if you'll notice how she described this angel, his appearance was awesome. Not just awesome, but very awesome. Do you know God still visits mankind with angels? It's found in the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Many of you have unawarely entertained angels, and you didn't know it. And so, that's just a little side note. God will still show up and visit with you with angels. Now look real close at verse 7 and 8. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall so be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So as if the angel here was telling Manoah and his wife, you guys are going to have to learn to perfect your conduct and your lifestyle. In other words, if you want this child to be the kind of child that God wants them to be, you're going to have to live a disciplined life. You're going to have to model it. Verse 8. Then Manoah... Prayed to the Lord. Now think about Manoah here, guys. He's the father to be. And note real clearly here what Manoah's prayer was. And he said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. Do you know I believe this personally? That God still looks for men and women that who will live for God, not only in their own lives, But they will teach and instruct others how to live godly. How to raise up their children in a godly home. And so go with me back into the New Testament to Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter number 2. Now in saying all that, that was Manoah's prayer. And he he wanted this angel to come back and instruct him and give him insight. You know, you think about this as a parent. When your children are born... The doctor, when you leave the hospital, he doesn't give you an owner's manual on how to deal with your children. A lot of the times, the only way we understand how to deal with our children is what's been modeled to us, or when I begin to get into the Bible and let the heart of God change me. Now, as you're going to Mark 2, many of you in our church know Bob and Jane Worth. Jane told me after the first service that she had wrote her father a letter before, way before he had passed away. And in the letter, she had told her father how he had modeled the heart of God before her day after day. Her father dies 25 years later. And she's cleaning out all his possessions, and she finds his wallet. And tucked in his wallet is that letter that she had wrote him 25 years ago. You know what it showed me? That letter that she took the time to write to her father meant the world to her father. He treasured it. Listen, guys, I encourage you. Man, go ahead and write the letter. Send cards. Do something, okay? Do something to honor. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them and not even, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them, talking about Jesus. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now I want to stop there just for a second here and we're going to really really highlight verse 3 for for a minute. This man, a paralytic. This was how his life was was identified with. If you'll note here guys, they did not call him by his name. They called him by his condition or his problem. Now Many times in the Bible, when you read stories, if you ever find where a father is mentioned and his son is mentioned, the reason that's mentioned there is for two reasons. Number one, that when a father is mentioned with the son, it gives his son status and identity. It also showed that the father was involved with his life. Now, I'm just going to quote this for you. If you were to look over a couple pages to Mark 10, verse 46, it mentions a blind man named Blind Bartimaeus. Not only does it mention his condition that he was blind, but it specifically lists his name. It says, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And so when you read that right there, it shows that because of this guy's father, it gave him identity here. Now let's read this verse again, because I want to add some things here. So he says here, Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic, who was carried by four men. So when I read here and I look at verse 3, the palsied man right here, we don't know his name. We don't know his father's name. We don't know that this palsied man ever knew his father. We don't know if this man's father disowned him, okay? We don't know that. But all we do know here is that he was identified by his condition or his problem. He was called paralytic. So this represented his his condition in life. Oftentimes, when children do not have fathers in their life, they become identified by their behaviors, their problems, or their predicaments. Let me give you some illustrations. Troublemaker, liar, thief, murder, convict, and never before in our society like right now, Gangbangers. Now, the last two I I mentioned, I mentioned them specifically for that reason. When you study the majority of men and women that are in prison, it's almost unanimous, not quite, but there's no father figure in their lives. When you study about the lives of men and even women that are now joining gangs, it is almost 100% that there is never any father figure in their life So ultimately what happens is they try to get their identity or their status through something that will accept them. Something that will receive them. Something that will say, I approve of you. You're a somebody. Now let's read this passage a little farther because Jesus is going to give us some great insight. Verse 4. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd... They uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Now get this, son, the new living says, My child, your sins are forgiven you. And so when Jesus said this to him, Jesus called him son, You know what Jesus just did? Jesus saw the man beyond the problem. And because Jesus took time to speak into this man's life, it created a relationship with him. And not only did it create a relationship with him, it gave this young man identity. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I'd be willing to bet, if not for all of this man's life, the majority of it, He was palsied. So you can imagine everything that was said to him for his whole life. And all of a sudden, this man, who's known as the healer, he looks at him and says, Son. Now let's think just for a second. What do you think happened on the inside of this man when he saw that or he heard that? I believe there was a sense of approval that was dropped in his heart. Just because the words that Jesus said to him. Now let's keep reading this because it even gets better. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their heart, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But yet you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said, or he spoke to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went on the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now, I said, This gets better. You know why it gets better? Jesus identified this man as son before he ever forgave him. Jesus identified this man as son before he ever healed him. Jesus modeled what his father had modeled to him. And so by saying that, what I'm showing you here is Jesus understood this guy wasn't perfect. And guess what? Our children won't ever be perfect. But yet he still reached out and called him son. And so, what Jesus ultimately does here, he didn't put any qualifications on him. He didn't say, You're going to have to do this or this or this to be my son. Ultimately, what Jesus does here is he gives him status, he gives him identity, and Jesus, by calling him son, said, You're somebody. There's value upon your life because you're a human being. And I believe that's exactly what Father God is wanting us not only to model, but I believe God's wanting us to breathe that everywhere we go, that we just value people because they're people. And if you hadn't understood that before, people are important to God. And Just turn back a page or two to to Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 11. Jesus loved him, guys. And you know what? Jesus just called him son. It wasn't that Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to buy your love. I'm going to give you everything you want. And you know, in America right now, that's almost what's become to happen more and more, that we think it's our our job or duty that, that we buy our children's love. And I'm not against blessing our children with things, but the greatest thing we can give them is unconditional love. The greatest thing we can give them is approval and identity. Now look what Father God did to Jesus Himself. Mark chapter 1, verse 11. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen what that said in the message. It says, you are my beloved son. Chosen and marked by my love, you're the pride of my life. The new living says, you are my son, and you bring me great joy. Now, get this. Here's a little nugget in here. When Father God said, you're my beloved son, do you know at this point in time in Jesus' life, He has not healed one person. He has not forgiven one person. He has not delivered one person. And so right here, if you don't get anything today, then this statement right here, get this. That Father God was saying here, I'm more concerned about you, the person, than your performance. So what ultimately happens many times, as parents, as fathers, we, we almost salute our children because of their earthly achievements instead of just who they are. And it's if you get a title in front, in front of your name, I'll celebrate you. If you got a great job, if you make a lot of money, if you got a big house, then I'll celebrate you. And my point in saying this about what Father God is, we go back to this and look. Father God did not put any qualifications on him. He said, that's my boy. That's my boy. And so when you look at this, the very thing that Father God did to Jesus, Jesus models that with the paralytic. And Jesus calls him son. And as if Jesus never saw his condition or what was going on on the inside of him. You don't have to earn approval. I just love you. I just flat out love you. And fathers, I can tell you this today. You can be the difference maker and you are the difference maker. And understand, our children need us unlike any other time. And I'm not saying you've been bad dads or great dads. I'm just saying, let's learn to take the heart of the Father God. And let's celebrate our children just because they're human beings, just because God created them. And they're unique in all their ways. Now go back into the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48. You know, every human being on earth has four basic needs. And those four basic needs are acceptance, security, identity, and purpose. And I still believe that to this day, that that's what we deposit within our children here on Father's Day. Genesis chapter 48. About a month ago, this passage literally became alive on the inside of me. Is if God would just lead me to this when I would read and I begin to study. And so let's look at this, and I want to break this down, and I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to get a hold of this today. Genesis 48, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel, or Jacob, strengthened himself, and he sat upon the bed. Now, in the Bible, anytime you read about Jacob or Israel, it's the same person. God changed his name to Israel. So when you read this and study this passage, Jacob here, Israel, he's at the end of his life. He knows his days on this earth are about to be over. And so in a roundabout way, I think we're safe to say here, This becomes his dying decree. This becomes his heart. Now, I can't read this whole chapter today, but I encourage you to read it. I'm going to skip through some of it. I'm going to highlight some things. Look with me in verse number 8. Then Israel saw Joseph's son, and he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. He didn't say, I will curse them. He said, I will bless them. And to bless them is to affirm God's will in their life. Now, how does he bless them? Well, you'll begin to see through this passage that he begins to lay his hands on them. And as he would lay his hands on them, he would speak the things of God over their lives. You know, when I read that many times there, when, when he asked, who are these? And, and Joseph answered, and he said, these are my sons. These are my boys that God's given me. Let me tell you this right now. God doesn't make no junk. Okay? And God doesn't have a bunch of oops. What do you mean by that? I know people that were born real, real late to their parents, and their nickname was Oops. I knew a buddy, and that was Oops. God doesn't make Oops, okay? God makes people. And I don't care where you come out in order, God still has purpose for you. And I believe even in that passage, that's what Joseph was saying. These are my boys, and there's purpose. Read with me, starting in verse 12. So Joseph brought them from his bed beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and he brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand, and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, Guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. I want you to get this. Here's here's Jacob at the end of his life. And these grandsons come into his presence. And he lays his hands on them. He lays his hands on them. And this is such a big deal in his life that he refused to die until he could depart The lay nouns of his hands. You know, I heard it said this way, impart before you depart. And I believe that's what he was doing. He was imparting the things of God. Now keep reading here with me. Verse number 15. And he blessed Joseph and he said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, And the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And let my name be named upon them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow in the multitude in the midst of the earth. So he speaks over them the exact way, Father God, that you took care of me. You fed me all the days of my life. You protected me against evil. And then he brings back in... His founding fathers that were before him, the patriarch Abraham and Isaac. And so you know what he's saying to him: I want to part a spiritual legacy in you. And the very things that Abraham gave to Isaac and Isaac gave to me, I'm giving them to you. And God still does that to this day. Now, when he mentions there that he blessed the lads... Most scripture believes that Ephraim and Manasseh at this time in their lives were teenagers. If they were teenagers, and I did a little calculating, I believe Joseph was somewhere in his 50s. Now think about this. Jacob laid his hands on Joseph and his boys. It's never too late to lay your hands on your kids and your grandkids. I don't care if they're 5 or 50. We can still impart before we depart. We can still make a difference in their lives. Keep reading. Verse number 20. So he blessed them. He blessed them. Now we know part of the blessings was he laid his hands on them. But look how he blesses him. He blessed them that day saying... Speaking, I believe he literally prophesied identity in their lives. And when you study this whole passage here, when he spoke over his 12 different sons, every one of them's lives followed the very thing he prophesied over them. Even these two young lads... And part of the prophecy he gave them, that they would leave their negative life and have a fruitful and blessed life. And I believe God still does that too. And so he said, he blessed them saying, you Israel will bless saying, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And this he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So what I begin to look at here, guys, is this older man named Jacob. He imparted before He departed. He wanted to bless the future generations. That's one of the reasons I had all the generations stand up in here. And you know, I look at at my life. I mean, my father's here. I've got four generations that are alive right now. My father, me, my son, and my grandson. I'm blessed, guys. I'm blessed. But I believe God wants you blessed too. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me about a month ago. We'd had a, a strong storm come through here, and the winds had really been up, and I go out in my backyard. I don't remember exactly if it was a Saturday what day it was, but I went out, and I noticed something in my backyard, and I looked over there, and it was a little bitty bird that he had he'd got knocked out of the nest. And when I walked up upon him, whew, his little body was all beaten up from the fall. I mean, He was beaten up bad. Bloodied. And it really bothered me. And as I got closer to him, he was so young that his little feathers weren't developed yet. And I, I could see as I looked at him, his little heart was beating. And I said out of my mouth, I said, Father God, I don't want him to hurt. I don't want him to suffer. So I walked back in the house, and Shelly could tell I was moved by something. And so ten minutes later, I walked back out there, and he was dead. I picked him up, and I take him to the dumpster, and as I'm walking to the dumpster, The Lord begins to speak to my heart. And he said, I have a lot of children that have either fallen out of the nest or they've been kicked out of the nest. And they're hurting. They're bloodied by life. Many have no identity. Many have gone unnoticed. And so for a course of a month, I begin to pray and, Man, guys, every time I'd begin to pray about this, the compassion of God would come on me. And I sensed this, that there would be many in our church on Father's Day who've never had the blessing of a father. And I don't say that to judge anyone, to condemn anyone, but I notice the the effects that it would have on the Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the Ephraim and Manassas, When this took place. And so, for several weeks, the Lord would begin to show me men in our church that were great father figures. Not perfect, but great father figures. And He said, I want you to ask them if they would pray blessings over the people in our church today. They agreed. And I had one of the men, he said to me, he said, Pastor, I'm, I'm almost 70 years old. And he said, I've never had the blessing of a father. But he said, I'm willing to pray. And he did in the first service. And our goal is not to condemn, our goal is not to judge. Our goal is to bless And our goal is to release kingdom status and kingdom identity in your heart. And I believe many of you have gone through life with the thought of, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Guys, we got great men in this church, and I've seen ones that did not have father figures in their life become great fathers. And so you guys on our praise and worship team, come on up, please. And you fathers that I've asked to pray, I want you to come. The rest of you stand up on your feet today. And I believe God wants to heal. I believe God wants to bring you status. I believe God wants to bring identity to you. You know, and, and I know all these men up here, guys. I know their hearts. I know their character. I mean, in between services, Evan Haven's back here who's playing the keyboard. He began to share with me the significance of his father. And Warren came from a background. How many, how many dads and stepdads? Five. His own biological dad said, Don't ever write me again. His stepdads, he would have to go in the closet and hide because they would beat him. But I'm telling you guys, this guy's a champion. He's got nine kids. And his kids are good kids, they love Jesus. I could tell stories about every one of these guys up here. Great men, yes. Perfect? No. But here's the goal this morning. As our praise and worship team begins to sing, I want you feeling real comfortable today to just come down here. And I don't care how old you are, how young you are, your marital status. That's not important. Just as it's more about you, the person, than your performance, we want to bless you. And I told all these guys throughout the week, I said, I am praying and I'm believing God that when you come down to them, not only will they lay hands on you, they will have prophetic utterance and they'll speak a word that's in due season for each of you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.